This on Apple Podcast that was Donald Trump there at Madison Garden for fight night, accompanied by none other than Tucker Carlson. So, of course, the rumor mill starts. Could Tucker Carlson be the VP pick? We're going to talk about that. You also saw him with Kid Rock and with Dana White, who's president of Ultimate Fighting. We'll get into all of that. But meanwhile, we get a lot of news to cover in light of talk of a mistrial in New York for Donald Trump. San Francisco suddenly turning the whole cleanup act on, right, because they get all the dignitaries coming in from China. What's that all about? And there's this disconnect a huge disconnect between Israel and the U.S. right now when it comes to what happens once they get Hamas. What happens in Gaza? Well, they, they're they miles apart, even though they're pretending otherwise. We're going to talk about all of it. It's really good to have you here. Welcome to the program, everyone. We're brought to you, as always, by LegacyPMInvestments.com. If you're interested in buying gold as a possible inflation hedge, a lot of people like to do that. It's one of the ways you can Hopefully, hedge inflation. We saw Moody's the other day. We're going to talk about that, too, because they sounded the alarm. Moody's investments uh, in terms of our credit rating. Anyway, we're brought to you by LegacyPMInvestments.com, 1-866-589-0560. That is their number. You're welcome to give them a ring. we got a lot going on. A lot. Um, I want to start first here with this crazy trial. It's going on in New York as we speak again today. Don Jr. is testifying again. And Letitia James, who you know is the AG there in New York City, is really determined, right? She has been from the beginning. I've played you all the clips of her saying she was going to go and get Trump, and that's why it was really important that she get elected because she had to get him, right? So now she's starting to follow through on those campaign promises, and it's become quite contentious, You see, there's one judge in the case. They've tried to get it recused. It's not working, of course. The judge is like, nope, you're here. I think it's going to have to go to a much higher level court. But now there's talk of a mistrial. Before we get to those comments, first, listen to Donald Trump, why he thinks this is so bad for New Yorkers and why taxpayers are kind of being defrauded here with this sham trial, if you would. Take a peek. This is an attorney general. Letitia, that went out and uh, campaigned on, I will get Trump. I will get Trump no matter what. I'll get Trump. I promise I'll get her. We have two tapes on her now that have come out since the trial because people took tapes of her because they couldn't believe her ranting and raving like a lunatic. But this is the attorney general of New York State, Letitia James, and she shouldn't be allowed to be attorney general. She's defrauded the public with this trial. She said that Mar-a-Lago, she convinced the judge at Mar-a-Lago, which was in Palm Beach, Florida, the most expensive land in the world, I guess, that, and the most expensive houses definitely in the world, that Mar-a-Lago, the biggest house, the most spectacular place in all of Florida, was worth $18 million, what it's worth approximately could be close to 100 times that amount. And based on that testimony and based on her convincing the judge that Mar-a-Lago was worth $18 million instead of a billion to a billion five, which would sell very easily, which we've already proven, but we'll have people come up and say that and prove it, the most important people, the brokers that make the sales. But based on that, he ruled against me. He ruled fraud. I mean, he said fraud. They are the fraudulent people because they ruled a house that was worth 18. They put down as worth 18 million and it's worth maybe close to 100 times that amount. 
<laughs> well, I, I don't know about that. We can talk about that, the valuation, which is definitely going to come up in this trial in just a moment. But first, here is the attorney for Donald Trump, who's clearly very frustrated. She's on a Fox over the weekend, and she's speaking with Maria Bartiromo, my former colleague over there, and she's saying, look, I can't say a lot, right, because there's this gag order. So Letitia James, she can go out and say everything she wants, but no, the attorney for Donald Trump can actually say the things that she believes is necessary to protect her client. This is one of the reasons she said she's going to be filing for this mistrial. Listen to Alina Hava right here. Right now in this Sunday Morning Futures exclusive is President Trump's attorney, Alina Haba. Alina, thanks very much for being here today. Thanks for having me. So we just heard from uh, the AG, Letitia James, talking about this trial. Mm -hmm. She comes out and talks a lot, but President Trump is not allowed to say anything. Yeah, we have a gag order currently um, against certain issues that we can't speak to. And we've seen this on many cases of his. You know, Jack Smith has moved for the same thing. And it's really, you know, it's a First Amendment right. He's also a leading candidate. He has a right to speak. He should speak about anybody and anything that he sees that's corrupt. Uh, but we do, even I, have a limited gag order. You have been complaining about the judge's clerk. And you say that the judge is compromised and the clerk appears compromised. Tell me why. Well, I actually can't tell you why, because I'm gagged. Right. Um, I can tell you that, uh, you know, we'll be filing papers uh, to address all of those issues. And um, the fact that, frankly, Maria, I can't even discuss it with you, and I'm his spokeswoman, <laughs> I'm his attorney, says a lot about what the judicial system, the state of our judicial system right now. Uh wow. No, I, I mean, she, she's making a very good point there. It does say a lot, right, about the state of the judicial system. In other words, what is this gag order? I, I've spoken with Alan Dershowitz here on the show about this, the attorney, of course, very liberal guy, typically. I mean, except that he, he is out there trying to protect the law. When I say liberal, he's voted, as he says, Democrat his entire life. And yet he keeps saying, look, they're going too far in this. And in this particular case, they kind of seem like they are, right? They're using taxpayer dollars from New Yorkers to go after Donald Trump, I mean, I guess there's a lot of New Yorkers that probably want that to happen. But nonetheless, it's really not very good precedent here now, is it? It's not good precedent to be using taxpayer dollars for politically motivated purposes. I mean, then you start to seem, feel, I don't know, a little, a little like a, a Marxist, communist, authoritarian kind of place. But this is what they're doing, because when you look at this case, I mean, this is, to me, like, there's a whole bunch of cases out there, right? But I'm just most amazed by this, perhaps just given my business background. This is a civil fraud case. What's crazy here, though, is that there's no damages whatsoever. So Donald Trump took out a loan from Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank agreed to give him, lend him the money, and he paid them back with interest. So guess what? Deutsche Bank and Deutsche Bank shareholders and Deutsche Bank investors, everybody made money. So there's really no damages. There was no problem. Well, Letitia is saying, well, wait a second. You know, he lied about the square footage and he lied when he estimated the value of Mar-a-Lago. Well, I think we all know, any of us who lived through 2008 certainly know this, do we not? Hmm? That value is relative especially when it comes to real estate, which is why if Deutsche Bank is going to make the loan to Donald Trump with the idea that Mar-a-Lago is the collateral, they better be sure that Mar-a-Lago is worth a little something 
that they could get back, right? And they did. They determined that for, you know, whatever he was putting down there, it, it was worth that. But he's upset, right? Because as you heard from him, she's trying to say it was worth some $18 million. He's like, no, no, no. It's worth many, many, many multiples. I mean, I think every day it gets a little bigger between you and me. He's like... By now, it's got to be worth a billion, right? Anyway, I went on to Zillow. I looked at some of the properties nearby. I was actually just down there rather recently. Look, these are very, very expensive homes. They're right across from the water, at least from the ocean, although they're on the intercoastal as well. So you have this plot of land with with water on both sides. And in the case of Mar-a-Lago, you're talking about 22,000 square feet per Zillow, 15 bedrooms, 60 and a half baths. I don't know how many acres, but I thought this was interesting because Zillow has a property for sale relatively close to it for nearly $40 million. And here, we'll take a look. Um, You can see it's basically, let's see if I can make this any bigger for you guys. Um, It's basically what? Okay, 1.34 acres, 1.34 acres, and there's nothing on it. Do you guys see that? Like it's this in between the other houses. So 1.3 acres, a strip of land. We're going to make this bigger. Here we go. And close by. So I think he's at like 1100 South Ocean Boulevard. And this is a strip of land for sale. We'll see if they get it, of course, right, for 40 million bucks. And there are homes down there for 50, for 60, for 70 million dollars. So, I mean... Not a billion, but 18. It might be a rather low estimate. Again, none of it really matters because the bank decided whatever he was saying was like, okay, you know, they were willing to give him the loan and there were no damages. There's nothing, you know, that you can say, okay, well, somebody was harmed in this situation. So why she keeps going there? Well, we know why, right? It's very politically motivated. And this is why, while Alina's going to file for a mistrial, I mean, I just keep looking at it saying this is going to have to go to a higher court. It's really going to have to go to a higher court because, again, it's the same judge over and over and over again. Arthur, um, I never pronounce his last name wrong. Forgive me. It begins with an E. You guys know it, right? I I always want to say Erdogan. (laughs) I guess the Middle East is on my mind, right, with Turkey and stuff. But anyway, the judge in this particular case, he has twice refused the recusal, he is just, he's already decided that there's fraud going on. So now he's just trying to determine how much. Letitia is arguing it's 300 million and they need to shut down the Trump company. They cannot run any business through New York anymore. As you can imagine, that would be pretty devastating. It's just weird to me because it feels sort of, I don't know, a little Hugo Chavez-esque. Remember when Hugo Chavez, you probably don't remember. I remember because I was on the trading floor at Goldman Sachs at the time and we were trading Argentine, Venezuelan, Brazilian, uh, and Mexican debt on, on my particular desk. And Chavez came into power. And the first thing he did was he got rid of all the judges and he started going after people and going after their assets. So if you were somebody that he didn't like or he wanted to take, say, that golf course over there for the people, right, he would do that. And so this just kind of seems a little mm, Venezuelan Chavez-like to me at this moment in time. In other words, no damages, but she hates them. She's going to go after them. She's going to get them for everything she can't. And that's really not very American now, is it? Right? I mean, what do they say? Find, find me the man, I'll find you the crime. Anyway, look, they don't want him to win. You know that, I know that. They're freaking out because these poll numbers are just 
wow, off the charts. Granted, we're a year out from the election, so anything can happen. I always caution that. But I think that people are really frustrated with the economic situation, with the international situation, with the border situation, and of course, with poor Joe, who you know can barely keep it together. I got some video I want to show you on all of that. Anyway, here's Hillary Clinton and the view ladies talking about how, you know what, like it would be really, really, they're trying to warn you, they're warning you now, like life is over if Donald Trump wins. Um, Well, I think that your loss to Trump in um, 2016 will go down in history as one of the most pivotal times in our country, one of the most pivotal moments in our country. Um, And it's still reeling from, you know, Trump's policies, I think, um, and the deep divisions that he sowed in this country. What, policies? in your view, would happen if he were the to policies be policies are actually much oh, better than even, policies we I have I can't now. even think that, because I think it would be the end of our country as we know it. And I don't say that lightly, you know. Oh, yeah, right. I <laughs> you don't losing. say that lightly. I mean, you did tell us over and over again that the election was stolen from you. I think Jimmy Carter kicked it off. Remember that? And then you just doubled down on the Today Show. And, and, and then everybody started spilling this whole, you know, the election was stolen by the Russians. And so then when Trump tried it, ooh, that was a problem. It kind of struck a nerve, even though you guys did it first. Okay, whatever, whatever. You know, here's the deal. He's ahead in the polls right now, but I say, listen, don't count your chickens before they hatch. And anything could happen. The reality is the Republican Party is, well, I, I don't know. Can we say messed up, sort of messed up? It's, it's not being run well. I mean, I like Rana a lot, but hey, you know, the proof is in the pudding and you got eight governor races, three Senate seats, 19 House seats that you've lost, a presidential race you lost. And then, you know, that, that huge kick in the stomach there in Virginia, in Kentucky, in Ohio that we just saw. So Rana's going to have a tough time, I think, or the Republican Party's going to have a tough time if they don't have the right leadership there kind of helping them raise the money and then spend the money and have the organization in place to be able to execute a really smart campaign nationwide. I mean, just look at what happened, right? And Vivek brought this up the other night in the Republican debate that did not have the main Republican on stage. I mean, Rana couldn't pull that one off. But anyway, he makes this point, And it was just this epic takedown. Well, Rana McDaniels is now, Romney McDaniels, is now firing back. You know, she's trying to defend herself against Vivek's attack. And she has this kind of really weak comeback. I'm going to show it to you. But before I do, you got to understand what she's up against here. Listen to Vivek, who's making some rather interesting points. Let me turn to you. Uh, Please make your case. Why would you, uh, why should you be the nominee and not the former president? I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here. And I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. We have a cancer in the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my, yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there cheering for losing in the Republican Party. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. 
You think the Democrats, and we've got Kristen Welker here, you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Kristen, I'm going to use this time because this is actually about you in the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Mr. <laughs> this is how we get our country back. We need accountability because this media rigged the 2016 election. They rigged the 2020 oh election with a Hunter Biden. This is like hard to watch. And they're gonna rig I mean, it took Lester that long to say something. And Kristen just sits there like, ah, uh, smiling. I mean, what? but you know what? Like, he's totally right. Like, the media is a huge problem. We know that. But you've got to, I guess you got to, like, run three steps ahead or five steps ahead of what they're doing. So if you recognize, okay, the media is a problem, then you go and find media places that maybe won't be such a problem. If they tell you that they're taking absentee ballots, you say, okay, well, you know what? We can play that game, too, and we are going to make sure that we go to every housing project, every nursing home. We're going to do everything we can to get the vote out. I mean, that's organization. That's the ground game. That's the grassroots effort that they need in the organization that's so critical. And they seem to be lacking right now. And I would just say that, you know, Vivek makes a point. When you lose that many times, at some point, you've got to be held accountable, Rana. Right? This is just natural. You look at Virginia. I mean, how could they lose Virginia, for goodness sakes? Anyway, Laura Ingram, another one of my former colleagues, she addressed this head on with Ron in a very polite way. You know what? I give Laura a lot of credit for this because I would have interrupted Rana so much earlier and be like, you're not answering the question, lady. I mean, she's just not. But, you know, Laura's very dignified here. She says it, although not quite in that way. Take a peek. Um. Vivek and others are saying that under your leadership, Republicans have lost election after election and positing the question, you know, uh, why should you retain your job given the track record of the party under your leadership? And to that, what do you say? Well, first, I'm going to continue to focus on Joe Biden and Democrats. And I think there was a moment missed during that debate by Vivek to talk about the fact that we still have 13 American hostages in Israel, the fact that for the first time ever in the history of either party, we had a Jewish co-sponsor for a debate, and we are in very perilous times in our country. And I do think Republican voters, and I hear this echoed all the time, are tired of the circular firing squad within our party, and they're saying, can we please talk about Joe Biden and the Democrats and the border and fentanyl and crime and what's happening to our kids and inflation? You see, she's not I'll answering the question. definitely defend my record as chair. Listen, yeah, I mean, Ron, I think, are, I, mean, I, think see, I, I agree you, with you. Let me just say, I, I mean, all that, all that you just said, I, I couldn't agree with more. But and, and you're right. I mean, obviously, that 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 should be a key focus. But I, I know you believe in accountability. You, you talk about it all the time. Thank I mean, you. Everyone, I mean, I'm accountable. So you're right. OK, that's what I asked you when you went into another, you know, another yeah, I was going to go there. Sorry, I took too long on the answer. Yeah, you did. I'm not trying okay. to avoid anything. All Let right. me promise you that, Laura. Listen, when when Vivek didn't vote in 2016, I was leading Michigan to the first win in history. Not answering the question. In 2018. We defied the odds. We got three senators, people like Josh Hawley, that allowed President Trump. She's to build attacking. The 
Vivek. The largest conservative majority on the Supreme Court. In 2022, the RNC, which is a yeah. turnout machine, right? We're not the messengers. We don't create the messages for the campaigns. Those are the consultants who get very, very well paid. Well, one of the things, they, they, though, Rana, that happened was... This I is think big. I've heard this, too. People were wondering where the money was, whether they were going to get some help from the RNC... And I, I know it, at one point you said that, that you were not asked for money in Virginia, but a source, a Republican source familiar with the Youngkin team in Virginia told the angle late tonight that that is false. And well, there, just... meaning your story keeps changing. Anyone who thinks Virginia Republicans wouldn't want help when we knew we'd be outspent isn't being serious. You know, Rana, they well, were Laura, outspent by $8 million. Glenn Youngkin and, and did a phenomenal job and he raised a lot of money. A lot of people don't understand fundraising. I can't raise state dollars. I don't get unlimited convention and, yeah. and state dollars. Uh, and these were state House and state Senate races. The RNC no, is a federal it. Well, then what on so, earth I mean, is really on. happening? Okay, so you're going to complain about not getting enough money. Well, what on earth is happening if you're the head of the RNC and you can't figure out which states are going to need the money, Rana, all right? If you can't game that out on the blackboard and then somehow convey to someone somewhere, gee, I think we're going to need a little bit more money in Virginia this time around because the Democrats are outspending us eight to one, then I again, I go back to I don't understand this. Eight governor races lost, three Senate seats, 19 House seats, a presidential race, Ohio, Kentucky, Virginia, just absolutely getting obliterated. I mean, this is pretty darn shameful. So even though you look at the polls right now and you see that Donald Trump is way ahead and, you know, as he should be, frankly, under the circumstances, given the challenges that we're facing economically, given the challenges that we are facing internationally and potentially domestically, right? We have to talk about that too. I mean, these guys just don't get it. And yet they want to make sure that the Republicans don't win. So what is the Republican Party doing to confront this? This Vivek Rana thing is very interesting and brings up some important stuff. Again, like her ton, but it comes down to can you do the job or can you not do the job? And let's be businesslike about it, right? Like no hard feelings here. But, you know, if you got a coach on a team and the coach isn't winning for you, well, then you find a new coach. Thank you very much. So that's kind of where America's at. I think America's sort of at the point where they need some kind of new chief executive. They need a new coach in charge because what's been happening has just been getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And, and you wouldn't think it could have been this bad, right? Like, how could we have imagined it would be this bad? We knew that Biden was kind of out to lunch on foreign policy. We knew that Blinken wasn't so hot. We knew that they didn't have a clue on the economy. But I want to play you some sound. This was just like weeks before October 7th. This is Jake Sullivan, who's head of the NSC, National Security Council, Bolton's old job. And he's talking about like how great the Middle East is now under Joe Biden because it's so peaceful. I mean, talking about being asleep at the switch, it's pretty obvious. Let's listen. And what we said is we want to depressurize, de-escalate, and ultimately integrate the Middle East region. The war in Yemen is in its 19-month of truce. For now, the Iranian attacks against U.S. forces have stopped. Our presence in Iraq is stable. I emphasize for now because all of that can change. And the Middle East region is quieter today than it has been in two decades. Okay. Way to go, Jake. 
quieter today than it has been in two decades. Now, why was that? Oh, because apparently you guys were appeasing them with the $6 billion so that then a couple weeks later they could plan, and by they I mean Iran, via Hamas, Hamas in Palestine, which is supported, bankrolled by Iran, got the green light, according to the Wall Street Journal report, to move forward with that horrific, heinous terror attack in Israel. And now that same guy, Jake Sullivan, well, he doesn't like what Israel is saying about, well, hey, you know, once we take out Hamas, we got to stay there. We're going to have to stay there a while because clearly we can't trust these people. We've played nice before and it just hasn't worked. Right? Like, let's be clear. I mean, they gave up all those settlements. They even dug up graves of people and moved them off. And what did Palestine do? They doubled down and they planned this heinous attack. So Jake and Netanyahu here are not seeing eye to eye, which is troubling given that, well, I I don't know, the U.S. kind of had a hand in setting up Israel to begin with, but there's political reasons for it, I'm sure. Watch. I want to play you something that uh, Bibi Netanyahu said to David Muir about the reality of what Israel will face after Hamas is defeated. Take a listen. I think Israel will, for an indefinite period, will have the overall uh, security responsibility because we've seen what happens when we don't have it. So, so what? What do you? What's your take on what that? I mean, do? he's also later do? said they don't seek to govern Gaza. But that sounds like an Israeli occupation of Gaza. Is 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 that is that where this is going? That is not our understanding of the Israeli government's position, and I think Prime Minister Netanyahu has clarified his comments, as you you just alluded to. The American position on this is straightforward. Secretary Blinken laid it out this past week. No reoccupation of Gaza, no reduction in the territory of Gaza, no forcible displacement of Palestinians, and Gaza should never be allowed to be used as a base for terrorist attacks against Israel or anyone else. Those are the simple principles that we are standing behind as we look to the future, and we will work with all of our partners, with the Israelis, with countries in the Arab world, and especially with the Palestinians, uh, so that they can have a voice in what the future governance of both the West Bank and Gaza look like. Have you guys noticed how all of a sudden the tone has changed dramatically there at the White House in the beginning? They were like, oh my gosh, this is awful, blah, blah, blah. And now all of a sudden, after Rashida Tlaib gets censured and bursts into tears because she was chanting that horrible chant, which basically means means genocide to all Israelis, now all of a sudden, because, oh, I don't know, the squad and some college kids at various campuses are trying to say, well, they're on the side of the Palestinians because Israel is just the, you know, colonial-style power and they need this decolonization, et cetera. They're finding ways in their head, these academics, these students, and these politicians like Rashida, like Ilhan Omar. I mean, I get it. They're from there. They're probably, they've got their own built-in bias, right? Remember that. And then like, what's his name? Bowman, the, the guy, the fire alarm guy. That's what I'm going to call him. The fire alarm guy, Jamal Bowman, who, what a jerk. Like this guy's, ugh. Like he should be kicked out of Congress for this. They, they need to censure him. He pulled the fire alarm because he didn't want them to take the vote 
You know, when we were trying to get a budget together, even though there were all these warning signs. Anyway, here, uh, here he is trying to somehow say that the, that this is really important to a big part of the constituency and Biden better hear the warning. I think he has. People of color are disengaged. Muslims are disengaged. The Arab community is vehemently, excuse me, upset at the president's handling of what's happening in Gaza. Okay. And so as a result of that, suddenly what? Now we... We're abandoning Israel. Suddenly we're like, no, no, Israel, tone it down, tone it down, tone it down. You can't stay there forever, even though I'm not sure that Israel really has a choice. I mean, didn't we stay in Afghanistan for 20 years because we felt that we had to? And then under Joe Biden, we got out and look what's happened since. Dun, dun, dun. I'm just saying, like, I don't I don't love spending money foolishly or unnecessarily but I think that we need to be more thoughtful about how we approach all this. You know, we've got a problem going on. We've got a problem that, that's sort of almost within. And we don't have anybody out there really able to deal with it. It's not like Joe Biden's inspiring any confidence. I mean, with leadership like this, and I'm going to show you a clip from Veterans Day where I'm actually starting to get worried, okay? Like, I'm actually worried about the guy right now because it's one thing for us to be, oh, you know, oh, my gosh, like, he fell, and I hate showing you that video. Oh, you know, he's really not coordinated. Oh, he's old. This is actually one where I'm really starting to question his mental capacity. He's up there in age and then some. So here he is at a Veterans Day ceremony, absolutely positively clueless. I'm showing you the video right now. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, thank you. If you're not, please go and subscribe to the show. It's free on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And look at him here. He doesn't. He goes to shake the guy's hand. The guy puts his hand out to shake it. He doesn't know. He's walking back and forth. He's walking back and forth. He looks so out of place. Let's watch it one more time. Let's watch it one more time because I think it's just, it's important to actually see this. And it helps give you an understanding of like the country's concerned right now because this guy is not inspiring any confidence whatsoever. He really is not sure. And this is, it's very uncomfortable. Very, very, very uncomfortable to watch this. So we hope he's okay, but you get the feeling that this is kind of just sort of some kind of shadow regime. And you got Barack Obama out there talking about the Israeli occupation of Gaza. It's clear where his bias comes from. In the meantime, we actually have real problems. We have real problems because we have an element here that very much does not like United States citizens. I mean, don't think this is just about Israel. Don't think for two seconds. I want to show you a clip. Over the weekend, you had somebody getting cheered by a whole bunch of pro-Palestinian protesters on the east side of Manhattan over by the U.N. building in the 40s. I actually used to live relatively close to this. Tearing down the U.S. flag and the U.N. flag. You see this? And getting cheered. Getting taken down the U.S. flag they, you know, they, they don't like the U.S. They don't like Israel. They don't like any Western power. By they, I mean radicals, radicals in the Democrat Party. 
And we got a lot of them right now. And somehow this kind of stuff here happening on East 43rd Street in Manhattan is getting sanctioned by the likes of Rashida and Jamal and Bernie Sanders, who's Jewish himself. So this is this is a problem, especially when you hear the FBI's Christopher Ray warning us over and over again about the potential for Hamas-style attacks right here in the U.S. of A. Listen. And do not discount the possibility that Hamas or another foreign terrorist organization may exploit the current conflict to conduct attacks here on our own soil. We have kept our sights on Hamas and have multiple ongoing investigations into individuals affiliated with that foreign terrorist organization. Well, you're not doing a very good job at it. Thank you very much. Because look what just happened. And by the way, it comes on the heels of you all giving them $6 billion. I mean, that just blows me away. Really and truly blows me away. I mean, either extreme naivete or something else. Uh, Frightening, frightening stuff. And look, you know, as we try and deal with this as a country, people are forgetting what happened. Forgetting about the women that were raped, about the children that were burned, about the elderly that were beaten there, forgetting about the 1,400 innocent people whose lives were lost. And they're focusing, by the way, you want to talk fake news, on some of the stuff that Hamas is sending out, the propaganda that Hamas keeps pushing on journalists. And so you can't really trust any of the numbers. They say there's 11,000 dead. We don't. I, I believe the U.S. government has come out and said that that's not actually true. And you can't trust what they're doing. You know, they're, they're, remember the hospital? Great example. And the, the media was immediately on board saying, oh, yes, you know, Israel shot those rockets into the hospital in Gaza when it turned out to be exactly the opposite. The Palestinians screwed up and they shot themselves. So you've got this sort of hate, I think, of all things Western that the cool kids subscribe to, right? If you're cool, you hate the U.S., you hate America, you, it's so dumb and stupid and, you know, it's a colonial power and, and we need to be something bigger. I mean, heck, Greta Thunberg cannot even get her message across these days because it's also corrupted by this political stuff. I mean, she's, she's out there overseas trying to give some pep talk on the climate and suddenly it turns into None other than, well, I don't know uh, how you might say this other than some kind of Hamas rally, right? They're, they, they completely like, a guy literally hijacks the conversation. Watch this. He comes right up on stage, grabs the microphone out of her hand. Listen. We have not been listening. The people in power have not been listening. I have come here for a climate demonstration, not a political view. Okay, so there, so you know what? This is her thing, I guess. I mean, he's saying, look, I came here to talk about the climate, not to have some kind of political view force fed on me 
But there's a political view for sure that she and her team there seem to be capitalizing on. I mean, this just keeps happening in like so many different spheres. And it's problematic because we have started to lose faith in ourselves. I'm looking at the comments. One of the viewers earlier wrote that Elon Musk is calling it a woke virus. And you're right. He's right. I'm glad you brought that up because I I told you we were going to talk about that later in the show. And, And Elon, I think that characterization is fair in that this wokeness is a virus because it's feeding upon itself in really, really strange, bizarre ways where, you know, you get these crazy types somehow justifying things that should never, ever be justified and feeling inclined to do so because reality sort of for them no longer exists. Elon cites, these were in some recent comments he made, by the way, this woke woke virus thing, cites some academic that is talking about how human beings should not populate the earth. Like we don't have a right to exist here. I mean, you just want to like make yourself extinct. We get it. Okay. But not the rest of us are like that. So at some point in order to actually preserve civilization, And to continue on, we have to value ourselves. We have to value our relationships, right, between a man and a woman. And we have to, we have to recognize who we are. I love what Camille Paglia, she's a noted academic. She's so left, she might as well be right, I think. Now, she's like super left and she's written a lot on sexuality. She's written a lot on androgyny. She'll tell you, these are her own words back in 2015 during a lecture, but she's making the point that like, this is like the peak of civilization. When you start talking about all this crazy stuff, you kind of have, have reached the, the end, like, or, or jump the shark, right? <laughs> As they say from Happy Days. Proof of it. But now I began my all my studies. My my book Sexual Persona began as a dissertation at Yale uh, Graduate School on androgyny. I've always been fascinated, attracted, you know, to the subject of androgyny, uh, and, and that's what sexual persona is. I explored it in history. But the the more I explored it, I realized that um, that historically this uh, this uh, the movement toward androgyny occurs in late phases of culture. Okay, as a as if a civilization is starting to uh, unravel, okay, and that and you can find it again and again and again through history in the in, in the in the Greek art, okay, you can you can see it happening. All of a sudden, okay, there's a, there's a kind of uh, you know the, the the sculptures of of um, of handsome nude young men athletes that used to be very robust, okay, in the archaic period suddenly begin to seem like oh my gosh, okay, she was end, saying this okay. in 2015, uh, and, that, and that the people who 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 live in periods, a late phase of culture, whether it's, it's the Hellenistic era, whether it's the Roman Empire, whether it's, it's uh, the Mauve decade of Oscar Wilde in the 1890s, whether it's Weimar Germany, people who live in such times, okay, feel that um, they're very sophisticated, they're very cosmopolitan, mm. okay, I can see that. Heterosexuality, so what, anything goes, and so on, All right, and so, and but, but we, from the perspective of, of historical distance, okay, you can see that it's a culture that no longer believes in itself, okay, and then, and, and then what you, what you invariably get are, are, you know, are, 
are uh, people who are convinced of the power of heroic masculinity, okay, on the edges, whether they're the Vandals and the Huns, okay, or whether or whether they're the barbarians of ISIS, okay. You see, you she's see saying them. that the pendulum shifts, right? And Some the danger. To bring in me, we want to stay right here for a second. The danger is that it shifts too far in the other direction. But, you know, for all of us in the here and now, we're kind of stuck in this end of civilization, end of culture, period. And if people don't speak up and say something, then, yeah, you run a lot of risks as the academic. Camille Paglia has pointed out. By the way, I think, like, she's canceled now, too, because even though she's so left, apparently she's not left enough for for some of her students. And... She kind of tells it like it is, as she said. Let's go to San Francisco because I am amazed, just amazed at how government can actually spring into action when there's something on the table for them. Check out San Francisco. Their homelessness situation is suddenly miraculously gone, like overnight. Yes, that's right. The summit is expected to bring in $53 million, mm-hmm. filling hotel rooms, bringing big business. And the city did tidy up for Dreamforce, but this cleanup is much more extensive. While San Francisco is in the spotlight for the Asia-Pacific Economic Conference, city leaders are making sure the city shines. Tourism is our business here in San Francisco, and we <laughs> need to focus on making sure that the tourist dollars still come back. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I don't think they actually care that much about tourists. I'm going to be honest, because if you go to San Francisco these days, I mean, they care about China. They don't necessarily care about tourists. It's pretty gross. At one point, a couple years ago, I heard about a a poop app (laughs) because, unfortunately, there was a lot of human defecation, like, all over the streets of San Francisco. Yay. Um, Anyway, the, the point is, the place is gross. Like, just... Flat out gross. And nobody seems to care until there's, oh, I don't know, 53 million reasons to care. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Gavin Newsom, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we, we cleaned up. I know folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming into town. Um, that's true because it's true. But it's also true for months and months and months prior to APEC. We've been having different conversations. Right, because he's been having this conversation about how they're going to clean things up there in California or in San Francisco. The only thing is, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. You know why? Just as this was all happening, guess what was happening in the southern part of the state, in Los Angeles? They had an encampment of homeless people that caught on fire. This is like beneath Freeway 10. And I'm going to show you this video. So they caught on fire, and then look at look at this standstill of traffic. Everybody just got stuck on the highway, and like the highway is indefinitely closed down as they try and deal with. Imagine being in that traffic. Wow, this encampment that caught on fire. So yeah, you know, Gavin's like, hey, you know, we can clean things up. We can do it. We can do it. But I don't think there's any real motivation to do it because they were there in San Francisco cleaning up for the Chinese, but they're not bothering to do anything in LA. And then this thing catches on fire, causes this major shutdown. Look, you just can't operate a society like that. And you shouldn't. And nobody should have to live in that. And they're not. That's why everybody's leaving California. So good luck with that presidential career, Gavin. I actually once thought you had a shot. But between um, some of the rhetoric you have provided, 
the the votes, five million dollars to every person who can prove they were a slave, plus free health care for life and wiping out all debt out there in California. I mean, if it were only that easy, right? That that's his idea on how they're gonna solve race challenges in California. Anyway, he doesn't really have a shot at the presidency, but he's you know, he's still I think in his head, thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. All right, let's turn to Moody's, which downgraded the United States of America. I mean, can you blame them when you look at what's going on all around the country? And then you look at that $33 trillion in debt and you look at the ineptitude there in Washington, D.C. Moody's downgraded the U.S. Actually, forgive me. Let me I'm going to I misspoke. They signaled a warning. So let's try that again. Moody's warned. <laughs> the United States of America, that this $33 trillion worth of debt thing, like, can't really continue. And you cannot, cannot continue to have such gridlock or, I don't know, Jamal Bowman, the fire alarm guy, pulling the fire alarm instead of actually doing the vote on on getting a budget together. I mean, this kind of ineptitude, it's going to earn you a downgrade, which, by the way, Fitch rating agency already did. I think we were AAA with Fitch, and then we went to, like, AA+, plus, like two A's and a plus. Well, Moody's is reaffirming the AAA, but there's a big but there. There's a big asterisk. They're saying that, you know what, the U.S. is really messed up, and I, I fully, totally agree with that. Um, another reason, by the way, shout out to our great sponsor, LegacyPMInvestments.com. If you're interested in trying to hedge some of this insanity with gold, you might give them a ring at one 589 560 Again, 1-866-589-0560. It, it's, it's incredible that we're becoming so insanely irresponsible. And this is why Donald Trump actually has a real shot at 2024. And so I get that they want to have all these debates and this and that and get other people out there and get some exposure and talk about these issues. But there is only one person right now at the top of the ticket. So I guess they're all competing for, I don't know, VP. Tim Scott just dropped out of the race and announced that he has a girlfriend, which even his staff was kind of shocked by. Uh, they said, great. And he he's off and he's not interested in running for the presidency anymore. Could he be a VP candidate? I don't know. You know, I think, I think that a lot of people are starting to talk about one person in particular. One person in particular that made a surprise appearance with President Trump over at Madison Square Garden the other night. And the crowd went wild. Take a look. Tucker Carlson, Donald Trump, accompanied by Kid Rock and the president of the Marshall Arts Fighters Association. Making his way into the building. One of the bigger mixed martial arts fans. I know President Donald Trump taking his octagon side seat for UFC 295. There he is. Crowd's going crazy. You see, Tucker Carlson behind him is one of his guests. You see Kid Rock right alongside him. And Dana White. You see Don Jr. What a crowd. They are thrilled. They are excited. All right, this was all tweeted out actually by Tucker Carlson on Twitter. The other night. So everybody looked like they're having a pretty good time. Could Tucker Carlson actually be 
Trump's pick? What do you guys think? I'll check in with you here in the chat. I mean, you know, hey, like crazier things have happened. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not on that one. I would say it would certainly be interesting. I, I would not expect this to happen. I don't want to get anybody's hopes up here. I would not expect it to happen only because, one, I think Tucker's really smart. And <laughs> he doesn't want to go into politics for that reason. Right? I mean, Trump, he's already in it. Like, tough luck, right? You know, he's probably like, what the heck? You know, I used to just run a business. And now I'm in politics and people are coming after you no matter what, no matter what. So Tucker's like, you know... I, he, he knows that that is sort of the drill, and I don't think he necessarily wants to invite that. He's trying to build a business himself. We just had one of the investors, actually, in his company on the show the other day talking about it. So would Tucker do it? Would Trump ask him? Let's indulge in that for, for just a moment. If that were to happen, the problem would be, at least from um, – the Republican standpoint, I mean, Democrats might love it because then they would pull all those texts. And remember all those texts that came out that I suspect were leaked by Fox about how Tucker felt about Trump? Clearly they're over it, right? And, and hey, I think Trump can move on. People in politics tend to move on. Don't forget what Trump said about Ted Cruz's wife and Ted Cruz's dad, right? That he, he killed Kennedy. I mean, so there's some things that have been said and like everybody moves on and everybody's hunky-dory. And I, I'm sure both Tucker and Trump could do that. But I have a feeling that the Democrats would enjoy that a little bit too much, like playing back some of those texts, et cetera. And as I said, I, I think Tucker isn't about, he probably realizes that he can have a bigger effect from here on the sidelines, and he can, than actually being entrenched there in Washington and having to, to deal with all the bureaucrats. And so I, I wouldn't think he would do it. So which gets us back to the question of who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? I, you know, I don't necessarily think Tim Scott would be the one, although he has sort of a muted enough personality next to Donald Trump that it might actually kind of work. It's weird that I say that, right? But I'm thinking about Mike Pence and how he played off of Trump. And I think that that's what Trump is really going to try and go for he doesn't want somebody who's going to come and like suck all the oxygen out of the room and I know you guys have talked about Carrie Lake the problem perhaps you know and I'm just trying to get myself inside Trump's head might be that Carrie's a a very dynamic woman she's great but again like a lot of the oxygen is going to get sucked out and by the way she's running for senate and you know she's 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 busy with that and maybe she'll move on to bigger things one day but it's kind of like how do I say this? You got your, your leading man and supporting actor. So you need to cast for the supporting actor. So who is that? Right? Like, take a stab. Is it Kid Rock? Is it Tucker? Is it Carrie? Is it Christy Nome? I think a lot of people think that she might be a potential. It's definitely not Ron DeSantis. I mean, that ship sailed. And by the way, Ron has said some real, I mean, he's running to the right of Trump, for goodness sakes. It's got to be somebody who's going to be able to pull in a lot of votes. I mean, this is why George is interesting, right, with Tim Scott, and not be overwhelming. Byron Donald, PGB, recommends. I, I hear you. You know, Byron's been on the show. You know I'm a huge fan. I love it because he actually actually knows a thing or two about the economy. Imagine that, right? It's not like any of these people in Washington actually understand economics, but Byron does. And so he would be an interesting choice, and he comes with Florida, although Trump already has Florida. 
right? So as we, again, as we game this out, like let's, let's keep the ideas coming. If you don't get a chance to write them here in the chat, in the live chat, shame on you because that means you haven't subscribed to the live edition of the show. Do me that favor if you haven't hit the subscribe button, but do put your comments below and let me know what you think. I mean, who could be a real contender for vice president knowing or believing that Donald Trump is probably at the top of the ticket right now? And then meanwhile, what about the Dems? Like, who are they going to run? Like, if I were running the DNC right now, not that I want to give them too many pointers, I'd say, okay, you know what, Joe? We love you. We love you, buddy. But it's not going to happen. Like, it can't happen. It can't happen because you're not well, sir. And you know what? We need people that have energy, that are more youthful, and that are willing to just really, I don't know, at least be able to get from point A to point B, you saw the tape. I was looking to play it for you again, but you saw the tape I showed you earlier. I mean, it's just not happening. So Joe, Joe Biden is, is not the solution. The question is, is this? How strong that team is making his way into the building. You hear that? How strong that team is? I know President Donald Trump taking his octagon side seat for UFC 2. With Kid Rock and Tucker Carlson behind him. Wow, the crowd sure likes that idea. It's great to have you guys here. Thank you for all your thoughts. I'm just reading through. Don has been here. Don Beck, I just want to point that out. He's been here from the very beginning on this channel, and I, I appreciate all your kind words and your willingness to remind everybody to subscribe because I always forget. I get so busy talking and we have so much to get through. So thank you for that, Don. Uh, Great to see again. So many. Mike, good to see you back here. We have a lot of familiar faces. If you're just joining us, welcome. We're a good little team over here and we're growing stronger and stronger by the day. So thank you for all your support, guys. And we'll continue this conversation tomorrow. Although, what do you know? We got some breaking news just crossed. Three minutes ago, the Supreme Court is adopting its first code of ethics in the face of sustained criticism. This is interesting. The first time ever they're going to have a code of ethics there at the Supreme Court. It's amazing that this didn't happen before. Like, I don't get it. Like, how can you be a Supreme Court justice and be getting, you know, I don't know, fancy gifts or trips or plane trips or whatever, vacations from people that could have a very big influence on you. Maybe I'm just kind of Pollyanna about it. Like I always looked at it as a journalist and thought, you know what? I have to be really, really careful. I don't want to accept so much as a cup of coffee from a source because they might assume then or, you know, somebody might assume that there's some bias involved. And so apparently, you know, they don't have those same kind of rules over there at the Supreme Court, I guess, I don't know, they govern themselves. And so it's been quite, quite an issue and seemingly more on both sides, right? So Sonia Sotomayor has been under scrutiny along with uh, Alito. And then you've got, you know, the Koch brothers involved somehow as well here. So I do think it's high time that, we find a way to ensure that there are rules. And as a Supreme Court justice, you stick to those rules. So this is kind of a big deal. The Supreme Court, for the very first time, says it is adopting a code of ethics so that they have a way to deal, I guess, with all these um, gifts from wealthy benefactors. Here's an idea, guys. Why not just pay yourselves more? Can somebody get them a pay raise? 
Because, you know, they get kids in private school in D.C. They're stuck there. They don't get, you know, they, they just get little, little teeny wages. And they went through all that school. They got all that law school debt. You know, you know. Anyway, maybe maybe they should be paid more. I realize it's one of the highest paying jobs in government, but clearly it's not enough because, you know, they got to they got to pinch their friends for a luxury vacation. Not cool. Okay, like not cool. I don't care what side of the aisle you are on about this. It's just not right. Let's not leave room for this. It's it's why Hillary Clinton was just so oof with the whole Clinton Global Initiative while being Secretary of State. It's why Hunter Biden is so ugh, right. I mean, really, I could come up with a few words for that one. Really, really gross because of what he was doing while his dad was vice president. I mean, you just have to have some standards. And if if this is what we're going to get at the Supreme Court, I would just say it's it's really pretty darn late. I can't believe they didn't have any ethics guidelines. So they've got a statement on ethics principles and practices that have been has just been signed by all nine justices that they describe as the ethical rules that they're going to follow about travel, gifts, and outside income. And it's amazing, apparently, that they didn't have this. Wow. You know, I guess it goes to show we're, we're still a young country after all, right? Hey, great to see you guys. I love seeing you here every day. We'll do it again tomorrow. Take care.